Hey, 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 welcome to another Pastor Duke podcast brought to you today from sunny Sarasota, Florida. Joellen and I are loving our winter retreat here, podcasting my little heart out every day, studying up along the pool. Somebody's got to do it. Uh, listening to lots of uh, podcasts, trying to decipher the news and the fake news and fit it all together with uh, what we know is going to unfold from the Word of God. What we read in the scriptures we know is truth, and we build upon that. Today, my thoughts are going to be from the book of Revelation, chapter 6, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, Thinking of the words of Jesus in his famous Olivet Discourse, explaining to the disciples what to expect at the time of his return, and he mentioned about wars and rumors of war. See, that you be not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And I'm going to kind of fit what Jesus said together with what the Lord said clearly in Revelation chapter 6. I, I think it fits uh, perfectly. I think you explain the scriptures best with the scriptures. So when Jesus talked about the wars and rumors of wars, I, I think he had a, you know, uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, in his mind. So let me unfold this for you and see what you think. Uh, it's my opinion uh, on these prophetic things. We know the word of God is always going to come to pass to the letter, but God wrote it in such a way where good men, people of faith, try to figure this thing out. They might not see it exactly the same. So I don't have some kind of super lock on the truth, but I, I do think you'll find it extremely interesting. I think you'll see it as a biblical fit, and it'll motivate our hearts to walk close to the Lord and it'll motivate us to, to be witnesses unto him, and that's the most important thing. So the sacred words of Jesus are ever looming in my mind as I sift through the news, the fake news of, of our day. Front and center, of course, is Russia, Ukraine right now, which we all know uh, has escalated into Russia, NATO. Zelensky sacrificing his own innocent people Have you studied out Zelensky, who he really is, where he came from, who put him in power, what's happened with that leadership team in uh, Ukraine through these past few years, Uh, the most corrupt government in all of Europe? (laughs) We are told by Bill Gates, of all people. And uh, on that one, I think Gates got it right. And it's so sad because the innocent Ukrainian people are suffering horrifically as NATO is using Ukraine as a basically a killing field. But be what it is, Jesus said, there will be wars, and they're always sad, and innocent people always die. But Zelensky is pushing hard to escalate the war into World War III as corrupt Ukrainian politicians lined their dirty pockets with European Union and American taxpayers' money uh, flowing in with absolutely no accountability. (laughs) I see no good guys in this game, only the innocent suffering. But in addition to all the Russia-Ukraine chatter, rumors are circulating of China wars with India. There's been skirmishes on the border. 
not brought to you by the mainstream media, of course. And there is lots and lots of chatter about brewing war with Taiwan. Mainstream media deflects attention away from conflict in Turkey, uh, Syria, and North Korea. Russia is building a new wave of nuclear bombs and delivery systems. China builds its military arsenal and its new modern warships. Russia is seeking to purchase, just found this out a couple days ago, from the Taliban most of the U.S. military hardware left behind from the Afghanistan war. How about that? military, uh, the most sophisticated military equipment we've got. Now, you know they're going to get it a dime on a dollar. And in addition to all this warmongering between nations, we have the deep divides within the various nations of the world. The Chinese in huge revolt against the CCP for the handling of COVID, for the handling of the real estate crisis, the got huge, huge problems in China. Poland and German populaces uh, fighting their own governments uh, who are deepening their roles in the NATO war against Russia. All across uh, energy-starved Europe are rising populist movements against their own governments, now mostly ignoring the populace as they face off more with Russia. It's the deep state plan to weaken Russia, to weaken America, to weaken Europe, to bleed us out. Uh, and all the while, the uh, military uh, machines uh, make money. The vaccine uh, uh, companies continue to make money. The rich get richer and the poor get poor. That's all been Satan's plan forever. I'll sum it up this way. It's a volatile mess with pressures mounting. All of which is laying the global political climate for a long-weighted uh, answer man, someone to rise up in, in power to bring some semblance of sanity to this mess that the world is, someone to bring peace to the seemingly impossible and complicated mess, all setting the stage for the first horseman of the apocalypse to come riding in on his white horse of peace revelation chapter 6 verse 2 and he who sat on him uh, the antichrist himself had a bow but no arrows a crown was given unto him he is appointed and not elected. That's where this globalism thing is moving towards. As I see it he becomes president or prime minister or leader of the new world order with its headquarters in the Western political bloc, including America. <laughs> Who's a good guy? In Nobody. Uh, I did a podcast, Easty, Westy, Northy, Southy, the, the power blocks of the world at the time of the end, and they all have uh, expansionistic um, Views, they all want to take over and rule the world, and just Satan uses one pitted against the other. The blind being led by Satan, blind leading the blind. And it says that this Antichrist went forth conquering and to conquer, but not militarily now. He conquers first diplomatically, a globalist, satanic-inspired peacemaker, while the world 
is desperate for peace for a million reasons, he will bring in a short season of peace. The same demonic force that presently divides the national despots, all vying for power, riches and control, will for a short season still the storm. He will be viewed as the ultimate answer man, the diplomat of all diplomats, almost like a messiah. According to Daniel 9.27, his first political order of success concerning peace negotiations will be between Israel and her avowed enemies. You know, tackle the hardest uh, problem first. He confirms the covenant with the Jewish people for seven years, Daniel 9.27. But the season of peace is very short-lived, and we see in Revelation 6, 3, and 4, and when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see, and there went out another horse, a red horse of war, and demonic power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and they shall kill one another, and there was given unto him a great sword. I believe this could be the place Jeremiah 6.14 fits in, where it says, and they will say, peace, peace, and there will be no peace. A Christ-rejecting world who burned and banned God's holy word has now entered into the very apocalypse they had so long mocked. The second horseman has ridden in, and peace is now globally gone. I'm going to focus now on two of the three wars that are prophetically promised and how the scenario may unfold. Oftentimes people think of the Battle of Armageddon as just one conclusive battle, but you'll see in Scripture there's at least three battles uh, in Armageddon. So I'm going to be building on that as, as I continue. Then I'll go back to the last two horsemen of the apocalypse. So we're looking specifically at the red horse of war. We see in Daniel chapter 11, in the time of the end, verse 40, which says, At the time of the end shall the king of the south shall push up at him at the Antichrist, coming against the western leader, who is this king of the south? Many scholars believe, and I agree with them, to be a coming Islamic leader heading up an emerging uh, Islamic caliphate. Up till now, the three main global political power blocks were west, uh, comprised of the European Union, United States, Australia, Canada, all the English-speaking people groups of the west, which is the globalist ringleaders as we speak, from whom the Antichrist will emerge. We get that from Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. We have the northern block. Ezekiel chapter 38 identifies as Russia, along with her allies, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, all aligned together, who also will come down from the north to fight the western leader Antichrist. Again, in Daniel 11, verse 4, and the king of the north shall come against him, that's the Antichrist, like a whirlwind, 
in verse 41. A moment ago I said verse 4. It's actually verse 40. And now in verse 41, both the king of the south, Islam, and the king of the north, Russia, will fight their common western enemy. Of course, the best time to fight a common enemy would be at the same time. That's what we see in Daniel 11, 40, 41. He, Russia, will enter also into the glorious land, that's Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown. <laughs> Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, all those who, who march from the south, all of those who march from the north. A huge point of interest here is exactly where the Antichrist sets up his throne. Being the emergent Western leader, one would expect headquarters to be in a prominent European city like London, Paris, Brussels, Berlin, or Rome. But no, Satan takes his headquarters straight to Jerusalem, where history had its epicenter. Christ died and rose in Jerusalem. Likewise shall Satan's Antichrist sit in the temple of God in Jerusalem, claiming to be God, 2 Thessalonians 2.4. You see how Scripture fits with Scripture? So when the final battles of the war of Armageddon hit, they hit in the Holy Land where Antichrist is tightening his global grip on power, and he institutes his infamous mark of the beast at the middle point of the tribulation with 42 months to go. In my scenario, it's his first big peace move to protect Israel, Daniel 9.27, from her enemies that completely and immediately incites Islam to unite against this Antichrist. Uh, uh, he's crossed the line. They view Israel as the little Satan, they view America and NATO, all anyone who would support Israel, as the great Satan. And when that world emergent leader uh, sides up with Israel, crosses the Islamic line, they are ready to go to war. I see that Islamic caliphate coming together very quickly because individually Islam is an absolute mess at the national level. Now they must come together to have any influence in the world, and I believe that will be the political action done by the Antichrist that incites that to happen, and it will happen quickly. In this present global political activity, Islam has been pushed to the back burner, and they don't like it. Another huge point that helps understand what will be driving these forces, Islam holds to their own version of apocalyptic times. I think I got my tang tangled up there for a moment. Their own version of apocalyptic times, which is quite different from the Christian view. Their historic main tool of evangelism has been to conquer by the sword. It's in the Quran a hundred times. Jihad, or holy war, they call it. In their eschatological view, in their theological view, jihad honors Allah. Islam intimidates and forces people into submission 
Islam is not a from the heart, man believeth unto righteousness religion. It is a bully pulpit religion by the sword, conquered by the sword, enforcement of Shia law by the sword. Islam, the very word means submission. I see it this way. Even before the ink is dried on the peace treaty with Israel and the Antichrist in Daniel 9.27, Islam is intimidated. They are furious. Jihad uh, will uh, be the driving force, and soon it will be the big jihad. They will be coming together as the Islamic nations. They will be heading swiftly north to face off against the Western power of the Antichrist. And soon to follow will be Russia, I would say simultaneously, and the Northy team, I like to call them, to fight their common enemy at the same time. That's what Daniel 11 unfolds. Those two battles are unfolding in the same verse, not even a verse apart. Islam's eschatology, their study and opinion of future events, has an ultimate all-out combined jihad against Israel and the Western powers. It will so please Allah that he will release from the well the Mahdi who fell into this well about 1,400 years ago and now awaits, uh, actually more around 800 years ago, I apologize. He awaits in a state of occultation. Isn't that interesting? Straight from uh, their teachings. Uh, occultation from which we get the word occult. So the Mahdi fell in. He's their uh, Messiah, and he awaits for Allah to release him, and it's this final huge jihad coming together of Islamic forces that pleases Allah. The Mahdi is released. He goes forth and conquers the entire world for Islam. That's their worldview, and I promise you they are not fear-driven. They are fanatical. This is what they believe. This is what has fueled every... uh, uh, act of terrorism uh, in the from the Islamic world since the rise of the Ayatollah Khomeini back in the 1970s. And so it's game on for Islam. Their view, death to Israel and death to all heretics, which of course is anyone who's not a Muslim. I find it ironic that Islamic scholars, this, this is just amazing to me, Islamic scholars see the Western Central Bankers, the World Economic Forum, the whole globalist movement, the Davos people, the Soroses of the world as the work of the devil. I agree with them on that point. Pretty much the same way um, Christian prophetic teachers, we kind of have the common enemy. We see it pretty much the same way. We identify the same enemy Uh, and uh, the work of Satan. But in reality, it comes down to this. They, too, are deceived by Satan, and it's just Satan blinding them. As Satan has blinded the Western group and vying for power, it's just pitting one group up against the other group. And, of course, we know from Daniel, we know from Revelation, that that uh, Southie group, Who's going to win? Who's going to lose? They will be defeated. 
Russia will be defeated from the north. The whole world is watching this, you know, through technology uh, on their TV screens, and they see (laughs) supernatural intervention. You read about this, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39. The world is watching, and that's why they say in Revelation chapter 13, I believe it's verse 4, as they watch this, they say, who's able to make war with him against the Antichrist? So the Antichrist is going to take credit for the work. I think it's God that defeats the kings of the south. I believe it's God who defeats the powers from the north, Russia and her allies. That's pretty clear from Ezekiel 38. But the Antichrist is responsible for the defense of Israel and takes credit for it. And the world watches and says, who's able to make war with him? Well, we know there's one last major battle coming, coming from the east. And so even though we see the Western power of Satan's Antichrist coming together, in the Christian view, I think it's the devil. In the Islamic view, they think it's the devil. They're right, but they're blinded by the devil themselves, and they believe in a false Christ, and they put their faith in Muhammad and uh, added the whole book of Quran, uh, the Quran to the Biblical faith. Remember what God said, don't add anything, don't take anything away. And the whole book of the Quran has been added. They view it as equal to the word of God. And I think it's an add-on, and I think they've been deceived by Satan. Satan has always pitted his, his groups against one another. Satan hates all people groups. He hates all political groups, <laughs> even though he controls most of them. He hates them. He just uses uh, their greed, their lust for power to blind them, to control them, and to use them in his agenda to rule the world and see all men condemned with him in the lake of fire. Misery loves company. Hell hath enlarged herself because of the hardness of people's hearts. Satan wanted to blind people, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, whose is the image of God, should shine unto them. Kind of like what Jesus said, the blind leading the blind, controlling the blind, and leading them into perdition and damnation. How sad. He uses each greedy power block to destroy one another, as will the Antichrist, who gets a lot of strength and political leverage from the false prophet. In the end, he destroys the false prophet. That's how Satan has always worked. Should not come as a surprise. So that's the south, that's the north, falling to the west uh, in the first and second battles prophesied to come with the biggest battle still to come when the East, China, squares off against Antichrist. We see this also in Daniel 11, verse 44. But tidings out of the East shall trouble him. We also see the kings of the East coming in Revelation 9, crossing the dried riverbed of the Euphrates River. So we see that Daniel is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New Testament. So tidings come out of the east, they shall trouble him, the Antichrist. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy them. Verse 45 wraps up the Daniel portion of the red horsemen of the apocalypse, the wars. And he, 
Antichrist shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas. That's between the Mediterranean and the Dead Sea, which is modern-day Israel as it was in those days. More specifically, 2 Thessalonians 2, the holy city Jerusalem. Back to the text, in the glorious holy mountain, the temple mount, the Antichrist temple will go up. Good news, yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. It's God's time to put him down, as Daniel prophesied earlier in chapter 7 and in verse 9. I beheld till the throne of the Antichrist was cast down, and the Ancient of Days, capital A, the Ancient of Days, before Abraham was, I am. That's Messiah. That's Jesus did sit, whose garment was white as snow. That's the very moment his kingdom has come and Christ's will will be done. Christ is seated on his rightful throne on planet Earth finally, and his glorious reign will begin, uh, that glorious millennial reign of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. Jesus bought us a ticket when he died upon the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Are you seeing how Daniel and Revelation completely dovetail together, each giving their own set of details to the end-time scenario? As we speak, each political power block is in its prophetic place. The Jews are home. All this could begin to unfold soon. So we've jumped ahead to the end and the red horse of war fully unfolded in Revelation 6. But as we refocus back to the third horseman, chapter 6, verse 5, the black horse of famine, where food is scarce worldwide, and the famine spoken of by Jesus are now the world's reality. War always brings famine. Then, in verse 8, the final horseman on a pale horse of death, and a fourth part of the world dies by the sword and hunger. The saddest thing is this. None of this had to be at the individual level. Christ died for people, not for nations, not for monarchies, not for kingdoms. He died for people. Each of those dying people could have turned to the Lord. Jesus knocks at the door of every heart. John 1, 9, Jesus lights the path of every man who cometh into the world. 1 Peter 5, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Christ died for all men, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son grace and mercy rejected ends with holy justice because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved, 2 Thessalonians 2. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all may be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11. It truly is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That God who is rejected, we just brush beneath our feet the blood of, of Christ. It's a serious thing. There is a huge price to pay for rejecting Christ and his free gift of salvation. Love, mercy, truth, and grace rejected will bring justice, death, 
hell, and the lake of fire. Our calling is not to stop the destiny of the world, but our calling is to somewhat understand it, to warn those who know not Christ our Lord. (laughs) There ain't no stopping any of this at the global and national level. I know that's bad English, but I think it's good theology. There's no stopping this. That's not our calling. Our part is at the individual level. Someone told you about Jesus, now you tell someone about Jesus. Our calling is to let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We should give reason of the hope that lies within us. People who are in darkness should see our light shining. Dark days bring uh, despair uh, to the lost, but we understand the what's really going on. We understand why. Our calling is to stay on mission, to keep our hand on the plow, to love fervently, to abide in Christ as our Lord allows demonic forces to run their course in the final day scenario. This is how I see it unfolding after 50 years of study. Scripture will be fulfilled to the letter My sequential scenario may be off a bit here and there, but it is my sincere passion to get it right as best I can and help all I can to be you ready, as Jesus said. That's the purpose of this podcast. Be you ready for such an hour as you think not. The summit of man cometh. Abide in Christ. And when he comes, if we're abiding in him, we won't be ashamed before him at his coming. Hopefully, we'll hear him say those beautiful words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. So until then, keep our eyes off of ourselves, our eyes off of others, our eyes on Jesus. We're safe in his omnipotent and everlasting arms. So he warned us, he laid it out, and he is coming. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But when you see these things come to pass, look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Thanks for listening. Please share, like, subscribe, all the above. Help me get this message out. God bless you. See you next time. Bye-bye.